And over time, we've allowed the Republicans to co-opt the branding that should be ours and sloganeer us into corners that we can't get out of. And now we're at the point where American democracy is on the brink. And I want to make sure that we are giving people a reason to vote for us and not just a reason to vote against the other guy. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, How much time do you have? Uh (laughs) I have a lot of time. It's my show. Welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with Oscar-nominated screenwriter and director and accidental political guru, Billy Ray. A prolific screenwriter, you might know his work from The Hunger Games or Captain Phillips, for which he was nominated for an Oscar and won a Writers Guild Award. But Billy also wrote and directed The Comey Rule, the Showtime miniseries based on James Comey's book, A Higher Loyalty. So while Billy might make his living in Hollywood, he's transferred those skills to Washington to consult and speechwrite for many of the Democrats you know who are making a splash. Billy is also a board member for Common Defense, the largest grassroots organization for progressive veterans, and Big Sunday, a nonprofit organization to help people find volunteer positions so they can give back to their various communities. I'm having Billy on today because we share the mission of trying to reimagine how Democrats message. We want to see those who believe in democracy and liberal values fired up and successful. This isn't just about beating a terrifying alternative, but truly attempting to make this country what it could be. We can talk as much as we want about the insane things the Republicans are doing and the damage they're inflicting on our country, but we also have to talk about the alternative, what we stand for, what we want to do, and what Democrats are actually doing right now. Authoritarianism is rising around the world, and we would be fools not to see it taking root here. But Democrats are not known for being terrific at messaging, and we're not particularly great at self-promotion. So even when things we are doing are great, often people don't know, or we fall into the trap of being on defense when we really should be on offense. Billy is looking to change that. And although we don't always agree on everything, our missions are and continue to be entirely aligned. So without further ado, please welcome my guest. Oscar-nominated writer and director, and now Democratic strategist, consultant, and speechwriter, Billy Ray. Welcome, Billy. It's great to be here, Lee. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm pretty good, honestly. Considering it all, I'm pretty good. But I'm very glad you're here. Full transparency to the audience, we actually knew each other. We run in the same pro-democracy circles in Los Angeles, so our paths cross all the time. And I know from personal experience that you're not only a genius with words professionally, but you have a true passion for this country, and you're lending that passion out to help the cause. So it's a real pleasure to have you on the show to share some of those ideas with us. Um, thank you. That, that's not a word I can accept. Uh, genius. That's that's uh, pretty tall cotton for a kid from the Valley. Um, but I do care a lot. And I have put myself at the feet of geniuses who could teach me about political messaging so that I could then translate that to candidates and, and elected officials. And yes, you that's and I amazing. do know each other because um, do-gooders can't stay out of each other's way. Uh, we just, <laughs> we just so keep true. finding one another at various annoying events. It's true. It's true. We're all out there trying every day to kind of work away and you end up on the same line as everybody else who's trying to hold the line. Yes, it's it's a, a group of uh, inspired slash terrified Democrats who all somehow managed to buck up one another's courage so that collectively we can do some actual good. Absolutely. So I'm going to launch right in with a quote, which I don't normally do, but there's a Mark Twain quote that I think about all the time that goes, I didn't have time to write a short letter, so I wrote a long one. (laughs) 
And that quote always reminds me of the Democrats because as a party, we're kind of known for being wordy and verbose and often losing the plot to unnecessary nuance. And I think it would be fair to say that we have a little trouble with the killer instinct and sort of Mm -hmm. getting to the heart of the message. And while I believe the Democrats are unquestionably the party of the people, we've somehow allowed ourselves to be branded as these out-of-touch elites. As far as I'm concerned, the Democrats are on the right side of the issues, but we're not great at selling them. And over time, we've allowed the Republicans to co-opt the branding that should be ours and sloganeer us into corners that we can't get out of. And now we're at the point where American democracy is on the brink. And I want to make sure that we are giving people a reason to vote for us and not just a reason to vote against the other guy. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, how much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of time. It's my show. I have, I have quite a few. First, let us dispense with this notion that we are a divided country. Um, it's very popular to say that in political circles. Uh, it's also incredibly dumb and self-defeating and not in any way supported by facts. Um, when you put minimum wage on the ballot in Florida, it gets 60%. This is a core democratic idea. When they put it on the ballot in Arkansas, it got 62. When they put it on the ballot in uh, Missouri, it got 67. These are the states where Democrats routinely get their asses kicked. And yet this Democratic idea was, you know, arguably two-thirds of the population agreed with it. Two-thirds of America agrees with the Democrats on abortion. The country overwhelmingly agrees with Democrats on infrastructure, on the cost of health care, on lowering the cost of insulin. Um, They overwhelmingly agree with Democrats on climate rescue, on decriminalizing cannabis. Um, And of course, if you take out the name universal background checks on guns and replace it with the name violent history checks, 95% of America comes with you, including 73% of NRA members. So we are in no way a divided country. We're sort of a two-thirds, one-third country. And two-thirds of the country agrees with the Democrats' fundamental message on all of these things. So the question is, how do we lose? Why aren't two thirds of our senators Democrats? Why aren't two thirds of our House members Democrats? Why don't we win two thirds of all presidential elections and governor's elections and state house elections? Very simple, because we message like crap. We govern in fine print, which is great. That's how you're supposed to do it. But you can't campaign that way. You have to figure out where people are psychologically and meet them there, which is not at all unlike screenwriting. Screenwriting is all about locating where my audience is emotionally and then meeting them there and then taking them where I need them to go. Um, That's the idea of of politics. That's the idea of governance. Um, It's shocking to me that our politicians aren't better storytellers, but that's the unpaid half of my day is trying to teach them how to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a storytelling, right? I always say we're historically terrible at marketing and PR, right? We're on the right side of every issue, but our PR is for shit. It's it's not the ideas that are the problem. It's the pitch. No. You know, people like, as of you course. said, if you poll people, people like liberal ideas. They just don't like the package it's put in. You know, we're not socialists. Well, they, don't like the word, we keep... they don't like the word liberal. Um, no, we, I guess we lost not. We battle to define that. Um, and, and that happened in the 80s and we've been reeling from it ever since. Um, but it, look, words matter. Okay. If you call something climate change, it confuses and scares people. If you call it climate rescue, they go, oh, there's a plan. Great. Let's do that. Right. In yeah. the same way that if it's universal background checks, people get weird about it. If you call them violent history checks, people say, oh my God, of course we have to have that. 
Um, so words matter. And in the 80s, liberal became a dirty word um, in the same way that, you know, now people would tell you they don't really give a shit about progressivism. They just care about progress. So why aren't we talking in those terms? I mean, what, what you're trying to do is get to a place of minimum rage. That's the idea. Okay. In <laughs> poll after in poll after poll, what we're finding is that people want community. They are desperate for community. They've been told for seven years that they have to hate their neighbors over political differences, and they're exhausted. They want to get their neighbors back. They want community. They want to go back to a time when they were thinking about bake sales and little league and looking after each other's kids. And they want to know that, you know, if you have a, a, a flat tire and you're on the side of the road, your neighbor's going to pull over to help you without first checking to see if your bumper stickers match theirs. That's what people want. But if you want to get your neighbors back, you have to have your neighbors back, meaning you've got to lower your guard a little bit. You've got to start listening. It's the only way that we're going to heal this district, this state, and this country at large. It'll be about community. Um, and, and the way we get there is by recognizing that we are not in a war. We've got to take all that terminology out, okay? That this is not a battle between Democrats versus Republicans. Frame it that way and we can lose. This is a battle between Americans and extremists. And when you think of it in those terms, everybody knows what bucket they want to be in, right? Um, mm -hmm. Another way to think about it, going back to are we a divided nation or not, is 30% of this country has always been crazy. Always. From the beginning. Go back and look at what, at what Americans were saying before the Civil War. Um, go back and look, what, uh, look at what Americans were saying before the Second World War, the America First movement. It's about 30% of the country. had kind of lost its mind. When Richard Nixon left office, his approval was still at 29. Trump is now hovering around 31. There's a group of people that are unshakable. You can't reach them. But that means 70% of the country is not. That's the big middle. That's where the votes are. That's where the winds are. If you can teach Democrats how to talk to that group of the country and not just the liberal part that already agrees with you, then you're going to win every election. And that's the goal. Okay. So if we're talking about teaching Democrats to talk to that part of the country, let's look at what the Republicans are good at because they have historically been stronger at their branding over the years. You know, we're sure. the party of human rights and liberal values. We're the party that believes in helping other people and social programs and equality. But somehow we're branded as these terrifying socialist anarchist pedophiles who want to destroy everything in the country and everything you hold dear about America. And that's not right. remotely true. We just right. don't have equally strong marketing. So if Democrats want to move to appeal to more people. I don't think people are often like, well, move to the center, move to the center. And it's like the center and the right and the left, that doesn't even go anymore. If you look at actually where we're at, we're all, it's everything is shifted to the right. You know, what used to be the center is now what's considered liberal and, uh, and leftist. And then we've just gone further and further and further to the right. So like I look at something like the Republicans took the moniker of pro-life back in the day and they're the opposite of that, right? They're the party that was ripping children away from their parents at the border and performing forced hysterectomies. They're the party that mocked masks and made no rules to stop the spread of COVID. They're the party of a million guns and zero rules. And now they're the party of letting women die of treatable pregnancy complications and actively saying they're not going to do anything about school shootings. And they still get to wrap themselves in the flag and own pro-life. So where are we going wrong that they're still allowed to do that? Okay, so let's first understand the psychological underpinnings that make someone a conservative, okay? 
Um, If you were to give a thousand Americans the same personality trait tests, liberals and conservatives would score differently on that test. our, Our brains are wired in a different way. Democrats have a tendency to make arguments that only liberals can hear, which is why we lose independents who tend to lean right and tend to be cranky. Um, we have to get those people because they, they, they swing every election in America. Okay, so let's understand what a conservative is. Psychologically, what makes a conservative conservative, what, what binds them together as a voting bloc is their shared fear of chaos. That's been aimed at every Republican voter for as long as I've been alive. In 1988, the Willie Horton ad essentially said, if you vote for Michael Dukakis, a black convict on furlough will come murder your family. Okay. Democrats are soft on crime, chaos. Then after 9-11, oh, Democrats are soft on terror, chaos. Then it was Democrats are open borders. Democrats want to defund the police. Democrats are socialists. Democrats want to burn cities. Democrats want your girl to turn into a boy. Democrats don't care if your job gets taken over by AI. Okay. It's all chaos. It's all fear-based. If you give a conservative the, the alternative between authoritarianism and what they perceive to be chaos, they'll pick authoritarianism every time because it feels safer to them. And they're doing it right in front of our very eyes. They did it with Trump. They are. They're doing it with DeSantis. They will blindly give away power to a government that promises to shield them from chaos. However, for the first time in history, Americans now believe that there are more extremists on the right than on the left. That's a shift. So for the first time, we can talk about the radical right, and it actually has traction out there because it's a a scenario that Americans believe fundamentally to be true. So what that means is that any Democrat running now has to brand themselves as the antidote of chaos. Chaos is people showing up at polling places with AR-15s. Chaos is January 6th. Remember when there were 30 cars backed up at the hospital parking lot during the pandemic because Trump had no COVID response? That was chaos. Extremism is chaos. Political corruption is chaos. The Democrats are the antidote to all of that. Democrats are just a party of calm, sober, effective government. That's it. Anytime you can paint the other guys as the agents of chaos, you're taking what is a psychological weakness in your position and turning it into a psychological strike. And then they have to play defense. Then they're with their backs yeah. to the goal line on their side of the 50 on roller skates. So it's about <laughs> attacking and it's about redefining what chaos is. It's about owning that frame. Because ultimately, what are we selling? We're selling what we actually plan on delivering. Community, not chaos. Votes, not violence. Laws, not lies. Books, not bans. Truth, not tantrums people, not politics. Like I could alliterate all day, but you, you get the idea, right? Yeah. It's all about we're the calm ones, not we're the grownups, not we're the elitist, not we're smarter than you, certainly not we're smarter than you, not, hey, we have more empathy than you do, so you should come be more like us. No, it's just we're here to calm things down. That's it. We just want to govern. We don't want to rule. We just want to govern. Yeah. And if we doing that, we're going to be fine. But it means owning the terms of the debate, which means speaking with one voice. That's where Democrats have a problem. Because I talk to individual members in the conference and I lay this out for them. They go, yes, that's exactly right. Let's, yes, that should be the message. But try to get 200, 
10 of them to do it at the same time, uh, it, that's tricky. That's hard. Yeah. And that's why I think the Republicans were successful for so long, because they were very good at playing like a team. I mean, right. a, an evil team that would shiv you in the back when they got a chance, but they would they would hold the line when it came down to it. Right. Frank Luntz would call Newt Gingrich in the 90s and say, this is the message. Newt would call his caucus and say, this is the message. And they went out and spoke the message. And that's how they got the contract with America. None of which, by the way, they ever executed. It didn't matter. Yeah. They sold it and they flipped the house in 94 after being out of power for 40 years. Yeah. And again, that goes back to sort of marketing and PR. It goes back to uh, saying the same thing the same way at the same time over and over again, you know, repeating your message. Well, you your message. If, you saw, if you saw a different ad campaign for Coca-Cola <laughs> every day for 365 days in a row, when you say, what the fuck is up with Coca-Cola? Get me a Pepsi. Yeah, I think it's so funny you just use Coca-Cola because I always say that if you remember the old Coke catchphrase, Coke is it, that if the Democrats had written that catchphrase, it would be Pepsi isn't it because there's another option and most people say it's better. So you should probably look into that one, Democrats. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. has always been how I think it is. Like we just aren't good at doing the like, here's the message, do it, you know? And I think it's hilarious because that's one of my favorite <laughs> things to say <laughs> listen when you when you actually lay it out for them they go out and say it right like right before uh november of 22 there were a number of things that i was pushing them to say it turned out that um democracy was a real issue for people people yeah. were really afraid of losing their democracy and so I was asking the electeds that I work with, and when I say work with, I'm putting that in air quotes because they don't pay me. I, I wouldn't accept money for doing it, but it is half my day. And what I was asking them to talk about was this idea that democracy is a decision. It's not automatic, like gravity or the sun rising. Democracy happens because Americans decide that it must happen. And when you organize, when you make your voice heard, when you vote, when you bring your mom to the polling place with you to make sure she votes, you're making that decision. A lot of Democrats went out and said that. And it sounded like they were speaking with one voice. And it, yeah. it made a difference. Right? It does. It makes a huge difference. I think Democrats were very good in the midterms particularly, but also in 2020 at speaking with one voice about democracy, about what we were up against, about where we were. And then 2022, obviously about women's rights. I think a lot of people thought that was going to go away. And if you're a woman, we knew it wasn't. Um, and I think that was very helpful that we kept hitting the same thing over and over again. And I think what you're saying about returning to this idea that democracy is a choice and the choice here is between extremism and, uh, America. calmness, America. It's, it's yeah. Americans versus extremism. Look, here's the thing about abortion. And the second that decision went down, you knew we would be running on that for a generation. Um, no, that one is not going away. If you poll Americans on what values mean the most to them. Freedom is number one, and it's not close. Freedom outpolls justice as a, as a virtue in America by 22 points, um, which will come as no shock to anyone who's black, right? Who's been saying, hey, justice, justice, while white America saying, well, yeah, justice, it's important. But what I really want is the freedom to say stupid shit and not be called a racist, okay? The second guns stopped being a safety issue, and started being a freedom issue, you could walk into Sandy Hook and slaughter 20 kids. And the conversation really didn't change. 
Um, the second masks and vaccines stopped being a health issue, started being a freedom issue, it got incredibly weird. Um, don't take a freedom away from Americans. They don't like it. Democrats never talk in terms of freedom. Like even something as anodyne as infrastructure could be framed as, hey, you know, that rural broadband, uh, that rural broadband is going to free you to connect to the global economy. Hey, that high-speed rail is going to free you not to spend three hours in traffic. When we fix that bridge, it's going to free you to go see your mom in the nursing home safely. We don't talk that way, right? Well, you um, and I talk that why. way because I, I know that you and I both agree that freedom should be the thing that Democrats hit all the time. All the time. But this is my point about abortion. You know, we're the ones that are saying you should be free to who you want to be. My point, I'm sorry to interrupt, but my point about abortion is the majority of Americans believe that Democrats are more likely to restrict your freedoms than Republicans are. And Republicans have been running on that forever. That's where abortion bit them because they took a right away. They took a freedom away from Americans. And when Democrats tied that issue together, abortion and freedom, then all of a sudden these Republican uh, candidates, particularly in the Senate, were having a real problem, a real problem. Like that's how we beat Dr. Oz in, in Pennsylvania. It was talking about abortion as a freedom that had been taken away. Um, and, and that's an issue that we'll, as I said, we'll be running on this for a generation. I have no doubt of it. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because Republicans are not the party of freedom. They are the party telling us what we can read, what teachers can teach, how people should dress, how we're allowed to refer to ourselves. It's the Republicans who want to put people on lists of affiliations and monitor our speech. They're the ones passing laws to stop protests and hindering our power of expression. They're the party banning books and limiting access to information. It's the Republicans who are out here calling for one religion and Christian prayer in school. They're the party telling private companies what they can do and how, how they can behave and punishing them if they don't do what they want. It's the Republicans telling us who we're allowed to be and who we can love and what we can do with our own bodies. It's Republicans forcing people to carry babies against their will and you know, threatening doctors with felony charges just by following their Hippocratic oath. So Republicans are not the party of freedom. And we need to be very clear about that. Okay. But, but let me tell you, I, I, I agree with you completely. And the facts are, of course, 100% on your side. Here's the issue. 62% of Americans believe that if they make enough noise, they can make a corporation pay attention to them as a consumer. 62%. 4% of Americans believe that if they make enough noise, they can make their government pay attention to them as a citizen. Okay. That's a pretty massive chasm. And so the numbers that you're talking about, the facts that you're talking about, all have to do with governmental control and people don't feel connected to their government. So they are not feeling that impingement in a real way. If you were to ask most people, what form of government they come in contact with on a daily basis, it would be the HR person at the company where they work. And the HR person at the company where they work is restricting them in a very different way. The HR person is saying, no, 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 you can't say breastfeeding. You got to say chest feeding. And no, 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 you can't say pregnant women. You got to say pregnant person. Like they're, they're doing that kind of speech at the HR level. And it's scaring the crap out of people. And it's angering them, and they identify that with democratic ideas. And that hurts the party. Now, let me just say, for the record, if you are a man trapped in a woman's body and you become pregnant, 
and you want to call yourself a pregnant person, of course you should. Of course, I would fight for your right to do so. But should the Democratic Party be telling the rest of the country, you got to use the term pregnant persons? No, no, it should not. That's absolutely wrong. That takes people's freedoms away. Don't tell them that they have to say chest feeding instead of breastfeeding, right? Don't tell them that Abraham Lincoln wasn't woke enough and we shouldn't name schools after him anymore. This makes us sound crazy, in my opinion. Are people actually doing that or is that what we're being painted as doing? Because I know that when defund the police came along, it was not a Democratic slogan, but Democrats got painted with it and it hit us in the face over and over again. Absolutely true. Um, and it only takes one for the entire party to be painted with that same brush. Yeah. Absolutely true. Um, but the point is, it, there shouldn't be one. Um, we are not in the business of cancel culture. We are not in the business of restricting speech. We shouldn't be out there trying to promote ideas that sound like they got cooked up in the Harvard faculty lounge, because that's not where America is, right? There were 6.2 million Americans who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump. 6.2 million. They're called flip voters. 1.3 million of them lived in three states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, which is how the blue wall crumbled in 2016. Okay, so 1.3 million of those who had voted for Obama, either they weren't racist or they put their racism aside, but they voted for Obama. And then eight years later, they vote for this guy. So someone did a deep dive. Who are those 1.3 million people in those three states? Why did their voting behavior change in such a radical way? And here's what they found out. That voter, on average, works two and a half jobs, commutes three hours a day, and thinks about politics four minutes per week. Okay, per week. I can't remember the last time I went four minutes without thinking about politics. But the point is, you go up to that guy or woman or non-binary person in Scranton, in Eau Claire, in Lansing. Remember, he's working two and a half jobs. He's commuting three hours a day. He's thinking about politics four minutes per week. I guarantee you that guy is taking his medication every other day to make um, 30 pills last 60 days. He's, his kid's school is falling apart. His mom's in a nursing home if he's lucky. Americans consume 80% of the opiates in the world. So throw that in there too. You go up to that guy and say, you've got white privilege and I don't like your pronouns. He's going to run screaming into the arms of the nearest Republican. That's just human nature. The thing about Democrats is we insist that people celebrate things they have just learned how to tolerate. And it's not the same thing. Because if you were to ask that guy in Scranton about gay rights, he'd say, okay, I don't care. Gay marriage, okay, I don't care. I know a gay guy. He works in HR. He's fine. I'm fine. We're not a problem for each other. But don't tell me that if I don't march in a parade, I'm a homophobe. And if you were to ask him about racism, racism, he'd say, yeah, I work with two guys on the line. He likes the Browns. He likes the Bengals. We give each other shit all day long. It's fine. But don't tell me if I don't like critical race theory, I'm a racist. But if, if they don't come all the way with us, we cancel them. And we tell them they're not okay. the drivers. I can, I can see where you're coming from on that. But let me push back on you just a little bit. Let, sure. let me ask you, because sometimes I think that it's not that Democrats are forcing everyone to use pronouns or say chest feeding. I've never said chest feeding in my life. You know, like, I don't think that that's necessarily happening. But we are told by the Republican narrative, because they are very good at this, that this is what all Democrats are doing. So you're saying it only takes one and we all get painted with that brush. And yet 
That does not happen with the Republicans. They can have a George Santos in their midst and not all of them get painted with the same brush. They seem to live under a different set of rules. And I don't know how that is, how you're supposed to fight that because you can't have one Democrat being like, I would prefer if we said it like this. And everyone's like, well, now we're all fucked because you said that, right? Like Republican narrative is very simple and it's appealing in its simplicity, which is kind of, we will keep you safe from the chaos you were talking about. And we will keep you safe from the bad people because you are the good people. And those bad people want to take things from you. They want to force mm. you to be different. They want to force this. They want to force that. And that's not actually the case. If you look at how the Democrats actually govern, like you said, governing in this fine print is how you're supposed to do it. If you look at how Democrats actually govern, if you look at the truth of the situation, that's not the case. No one is forcing that. There's no law that says you must say this. We're saying, hey, this is what we've learned now, and let's try and be a little more tolerant of it. But the idea that we're forcing it, this is DeSantis's idea of this is where woke goes to die. Florida's where woke goes to die. Woke is the most evil. You know, you have um, Nikki Haley saying woke has killed more people than COVID. I mean, these are insane statements. And what happens is Democrats get painted with something like woke, which is really just awareness of social issues that need to be addressed. And then we're on, as you were talking about, we're on defense all the time where we should be on offense because we're out here standing up for the people. So how come or what do you think we can do about this idea that one Democrat saying one thing taints the whole party, but Republicans can have active pedophiles and childhood sex predators and literal sociopathic serial liars, and they don't all get painted with the same brush. Like, how do you uh, navigate that difference in rules that have to be functioned under? Okay. Well, first, which is the hard part, we have to get better at honest introspection. Okay. In other words, when the San Francisco Board of Education announces, as it did, we're not going to name any more schools after Abraham Lincoln. He wasn't woke enough. I think. Did they say Democrat, he wasn't woke enough? Yeah. Um, oh, God. I think moderate Democrats on that day need to be in front of a microphone saying, that doesn't speak for me. That, that's not how I feel. And yeah, that, that part of my party, the left, is a part of my party. It's not the sum of my party. And it shouldn't be the face of my party. And America should know that is not how all Democrats feel. That's all it takes. It's, it's the acceptance by moderate Democrats that they can stand up and say something and not worry about getting flamed by the left in our party. And I don't in any way mean to equate our extreme fringe with the extreme fringe of the right. They're not the same thing. The extreme fringe of the, of the right wants to replace democracy with authoritarianism and the extreme fringe right. of the left wants everyone to go to college for free. So no, they're not the same thing. Okay. But the extreme fringe of the left can be wildly intolerant, wildly intolerant of people who agree with them on a lot of stuff. And if we run like we're afraid of Rashida Tlaib's uh, Twitter following, we don't actually deserve to lead. You have to be willing to stand up and take the heat from your own party. And we don't seem to be willing to do that um, as a party in the middle. I think that's a weakness. I think that would actually inoculate us from some of this stuff. The second 
some idiot said defund the police. Everyone in the Democratic Party said, no, not what we're doing. No, that doesn't speak for me. You just, you just suffocate it before it gains any momentum. Your silence on things like that can be completely deafening. Right? Um, yeah. It's, it's the I also think that people need to lean into the idea. Democrats could easily lean into the idea that we are... People ask for a lot of parties in this country. They say it's not fair that we only have two parties. We should have more than two parties. And I always argue that we do have more than two parties. They're just all under the Democratic umbrella. That anyone from, you know, Joe Biden to Nina Turner are not the same party. I mean, realistically, that is an umbrella that's called the Democrats, but it is a working parliamentary system that goes all the way from Joe Biden, currently people like Steve Schmidt, you know, like those kind of people through the Biden, through the Kamala Harris to, you know, Bernie Sanders and AOC and all the way over to like your Nina Turners. But they're all considered Democrats. And I think what we should do is know what our values are. We believe in this. We believe in this. But there's going to be different voices in here. And we're not always going to agree because that is democracy. If we all spoke with one voice, like a militant one voice, and we never disagreed, We'd be the Republicans. We would be an authoritarian party. We would be what's happening over here, that they don't care who their members are. They don't care. As long as they toe the line, you can be a candidate who smashes a journalist's head into a table and still get elected. You can be someone who's a literal felon and has killed his wife and stay on the ballot. You can be George Santos and stay in Congress. That is one party that has given up, I believe, their morals in many ways for power. And it works. Mm -hmm. And then there's our party that you say, yeah, no, I totally don't disagree. I don't agree with that. But we do believe in your vote should count. We do believe in the right to choose what to do with your own body. We do believe that. And we believe these fundamental things together. And then, yes, they believe that. And I believe this. So we disagree on that. But we all are Americans. And that's what it's supposed to be about, about dialogue, about debate. And I think that that would be perfectly fine if we embrace the fact that there should be multiple voices in a democracy. There should be multiple ways of doing it. You look at systems in Europe that are working, that's lots of different voices. There's about seven parties and you have to find coalitions and you have to work together. That's what the Democrats do every day. And that's because we, we're the party of democracy. And I think we should embrace that. And if somebody says something you don't agree with, you say, well, no, no, that's not how I think. But we're both Democrats and we both believe in X, Y, and Z. And you go back to what your fundamental core values are, which is freedom, democracy, right to vote, right to autonomy, that kind of thing. Right. That's what I, I agree with you. So we're here talking about communicating a message, making sure that people understand what you're saying. So I'm very pleased that our sponsor today is Athletic Greens. I've been talking about Athletic Greens since the very beginning of this podcast. And if repetition matters, then AG1 is not only generous to support independent shows like this, but smart to make a real commitment to our audience. The Athletic Greens mission is to empower people to take ownership over their health with a simple daily habit. And AG1 is such a simple habit to get into. You wake up in the morning, you put one scoop in a cup of water, and you drink it on an empty stomach. It's easy to remember because it makes you feel so much better. You get better gut health, boosted energy, and immune system support. And unlike taking pills and vitamins, we're not trying to figure out the best way to help our body. AG1 has done that for us. And it's a difference you can feel. I think I noticed right away that I wasn't crashing around 4 p.m. I didn't feel like I needed a nap or a cup of coffee. And when I did get to bed at night, I slept better. Like, all the way through the night better. Something I hadn't done in years. AG1 makes it easy for you to take the highest quality supplements with just one scoop of powder. 
Just one daily serving covers my day's nutritional basis and supports my long-term gut health with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source superfoods. So if you're looking for a simple and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. That's athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. This episode is also brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is a California certified organic farm meal kit that makes eating well easy with plans that fit into every lifestyle. Are you eating gluten-free, vegan, paleo, keto, or vegetarian? Are you just looking to eat better and not have to think as hard about it? That one's me. Then check out Green Chef to see their huge range of recipes to suit your taste. In honor of Earth Month, Green Chef is offering a collection of limited time recipes featuring sustainably sourced seafoods, organic proteins, and produce with ingredients with low carbon footprint. They are also partnering with One Tree Planted to plant trees in Northern Thailand and combat food insecurity in vulnerable communities. Every box sold is One Tree Planted. Choose from over 30 weekly recipes with the option to mix and match meals in the same box so you can have vegan one day and keto the next. And they have everything from quick breakfasts and brunch kits to their new 10-minute lunches, perfect when you're on the go or press for time. You can even look out for their fast and fit recipes, which are all under 750 calories each and ready in less than 25 minutes. Everything is pre-portioned and prepped, including pre-measured sauces, spices, and dressings. Eat healthy and make it easy on yourself. Go to greenchef.com slash politicsgirls60 and use the code politicsgirls60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash politicsgirls60 and use the code politicsgirls60 to get 60% off. There's a reason Green Chef is known as the number one meal kit for eating well. Find out for yourself today. And now back to Billy Ray. There's a thing that we're not taking into account, which seems to mystify Democrats. If right. you go to a MAGA rally um, and you ask people why they're Republicans and why they vote Republican, like what are the policies that they actually care about? They really can't name any. Like they might say no. something about the border. <laughs> what policies? They might say something about guns. Um, it, maybe. But what they all say I had lunch with a journalist the other day who's been to like 12 MAGA rallies and said what they all say is, I just know if you give the Democrats the power, it's over. The country's done. We're finished as a country. That's the message. The message is, yeah, okay, George Santos, fine. Herschel Walker, great. Dr. Oz, come on in. Like they don't care who that is. As long as it keeps power out of the hands of Democrats because they've been taught that giving Democrats power equals chaos. Burning cities, defunding the police, socialism, and AI taking over your job. That's what they think is coming. If you look at the polling, what they view the future as, if Democrats run the show, that's what they've been taught. And so in that circumstance, why should they care about how evil a Republican member of Congress is or how dishonest? or how felonious. Why should they care? There's a there's a greater good that they're trying to fight for, which is what they believe, their country. You know, I've, I've written quite a bit about January 6th. Nobody woke up the morning of January 6th saying, I'm gonna go do something evil today. Nobody. Every one of them thought, erroneously, I'm gonna save my country today. 
um, that's what they believed they were doing. Now, they may have been Nazis. They may, they may have been racist. They may have been horrendous people. They may have been school teachers. They may have been moms. They may have been kids. But they all believed they were saving their country because they had been fed this line of terrifying garbage from so many angles and with such astonishing consistency that it became their truth. And they went out and acted on it. Can I ask you then, you were saying earlier that you we shouldn't be speaking with this war language, that it's not helpful to us. And yet, mm-hmm. our... Are our opponents not winning with this war language, with Democrats are the evil enemy and what you must do, even if we offer you nothing, is defeat the enemy? Are they not winning with a war message? They are to some degree, but they didn't get Joe Biden elected. I mean, they didn't get Joe Biden defeated with that message, right? They didn't hold or retake the Senate with that message. And they're about to lose the House Mm -hmm. with that message. Oh, they will. Because again... Mm -hmm. It's 70 versus 30, right? That 30 is pretty fervent and pretty locked in. But is that 30 going to be enough? Do you, have you seen what, what Donald Trump is saying at these rallies? Do you think there's any independent voter out there that's going to say, you know what? I was wrong about him. I, I like the cut of his jib. He's really making sense to me. What an inspiring message. Um, no, I don't think he's going to pull any independent voters across the line. I think he's going to, his base will be his base. Um, but no, I, I, I just don't see anybody in the middle thinking that makes sense. You know, the, the thing that he said that got him elected, if you look at all of his campaign lines in 2016, the one that was the most effective, the one that spiked off the charts was when he said, I will be your voice. Um, that worked in 2016 because it told people they mattered. It told people he was, he was doing it for them. It was a lie, but it was a good line. Um, I don't see him out there saying that anymore, that I will be your voice stuff. No, because I, he's I talking only about saying, himself. <laughs> well, he's saying, you now you need to be my voice. Yes, exactly. You need exactly. to go win this for me. That's a very different argument and really stupid. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that there's always room for nuance. I love nuance. I'm a nerd through and through. But it's not helpful when you're winning hearts and minds. People ultimately make decisions from their gut and the gut is pretty simple, right? We don't have the time or energy to figure out what you're trying to say. You know, our lives are too hard, too fast, too full. We need to give people ways to absorb big, complex ideas in bite-sized, digestible ways. It's why I started my rants. I wanted to make it simple and easy to share and talk about big issues in smaller ways. And I think if we can do that, if we can define our message, repeat the message, talk like a unified front, our message will be delicious, right? And people will devour it and then they will serve it to others. I think we need to give people a reason to get excited and be inspired and believe that we can win. And when we win, we'll do good things. Because often I think it's not about telling people, it's about showing people. Like I really do think that this infrastructure that's happening around the country is going to move the needle because it's different than saying we're going to build a bridge and seeing a bridge being built and people getting jobs from that bridge. It's different to say we're going to bring in universal broadband than it is everyone suddenly has broadband. These are things that are going to happen over the next two years. And I think that will help us. But I also believe when people believe they can win, they fight to win. And Mm -hmm. I think that is all part of the, the same thing. So I'm glad we're kind of moving past this 
Dems and disarray thing that we have dealt with for so long. Um, and and I'm excited for this new leadership of this party, you know, because I know you say that people don't like the word liberal, but I have to say, like, I am a Democrat, but more than that, I always have felt like a liberal. I'm a liberal Democrat. Um, so what's your thought on this new Democratic leadership? What do you expect to see from, like, Hakeem Jeffries and his compatriots as far as leading the party, especially now when the alternative is kind of pro-insurrectionist, Kevin McCarthy-led mega Republicans? Well, I know them, um, Hakeem and and Catherine Clark and, and Pete Aguilar and uh, uh, a few more of them. And they're remarkable people. They are not uh, lightning rods for controversy at all. I yeah. don't think things are going to stick to them. Um, you know, if you go back and look at January 6th, there were these like 15 foot tall posters of Nancy Pelosi as the devil. You know, yeah. Nancy Pelosi, the most remarkable speaker of the House ever. And all she ever wanted to do was give people health care. Um, why that makes her the devil, I'm not quite sure, but it doesn't matter. Once she became that kind of lightning rod, things just stuck to her in a, in a different way. I, well, I don't being think, a successful woman can be a problem. <laughs> yeah, that I, probably has something to do with it. Um, but uh, and, and look, Hakeem will take shit from the right. Um, Catherine Clark will and, and Pete Aguilar will. But what I see them doing right now is just leading in a quiet, effective way. I see them sort of amassing their troops and their strength. Um, I don't see them inviting controversy. I don't see them taking positions that the American people aren't completely with. I don't see them feeding the beast um, in any way. And I, I think in 2024, I think there's a blue wave. I, I think we I think we get the house back in a very big way. And I think Hakeem will be a magnificent speaker. I was very impressed uh, during the 15 votes for McCarthy because, you know, you were talking earlier about people freaking out about, uh, you know, the far left and the left of the Democratic Party and why can't we get along and saying the same messages. And I thought that the Democrats held the line beautifully during those votes. None of them were were going out. They were all just doing the same thing, voting for Hakeem every time, quietly doing the same thing every time and letting the Republicans flail the way that they were. And I thought that showed a real dichotomy between the two parties and what's going on in the House right now, which I do think will be something that we can capitalize in, in 2024, right? But while I still have you here, before you go, I'd love to get your opinion on why you think we're still trapped in MAGA land, because we just talked about those rallies. They are no longer about, I will be your voice. I will build the wall. I will take care of you. I see you, you the forgotten man. They're about, don't forget about me, the wronged man. And I'm wondering why these people can't quit Trump, especially after the insurrection and after an attempted coup and all the legal heat that's on him now. And then really, at its very base, the fact that he's not the guy he once was. First, let's accept that the numbers are dwindling, okay? All right. That MAGA is smaller than it was before. 56% um, of Americans now believe that MAGA is a threat to democracy, um, okay. including 25% of Republicans believe that MAGA is a threat to democracy. So it's all going in the right direction. Um, I saw a poll the other day that 21% of Fox News viewers now believe Fox News less than they believed it a month ago, Okay. That's one fifth. Hey, of their audience. hey, that's, that's real. <laughs> that's a good stat. Okay? I like that stat. So let's accept that this is not the tsunami that knocked us all flat in 2016. Okay, that's over. He's done. He's finished. He's toast politically. He's not a factor anymore. Yes, there is that base that still comes with him, but let's really look at why. 
if you look at the, it's roughly a thousand people so far who have been charged uh, concerning J6, um, the majority of whom, by the way, came from Biden districts, not Trump districts, but leaving that for the moment. What's true of all those districts where uh, those rioters came from is that they are parts of the country where whites as a percentage of the population are dropping. Okay, so look at Collin County, uh, north of Dallas, with a disproportionate number of uh, rioters from that county. In the last five years, whites as a percentage of the population have dropped by 4.3%. That's a pretty staggering demographic shift for something the size of a county. Okay, so what do we know about those people from Collin County? Uh, one of whom, Guy Reffitt, got seven years for threatening to kill his kid over January 6th. Here's what we know about them. They thought Trump was vile. They thought he was childish. Even the most ardent Trump supporter wanted him to stop tweeting. Remember all that? But they knew he cared about their whiteness. And so these people with no money put their AR-15s in the trunk, drove to D.C., slept in the car, and rioted. Now, if you were to ask them between Texas and D.C., what are you doing? They would not have said, hey, you know what? My, my whiteness is getting threatened and I've been at the top of the caste system forever and I feel like that's getting shaky and I don't feel good about it. They would not have articulated that. I'm not even sure they thought it. They would have said, hey, an election has been stolen. That's not America, right? But what were they really fighting for? They were fighting for this very primal thing, which is their place at the top of the pyramid. Trump still represents that to them. As long as Trump is still saying to them, hey, you're getting fucked. You should be at the top of the pyramid. The liberals are laughing at you. The elite are laughing at you. The coasts are laughing at you. They want to turn your son into a daughter. They want AI to come take over your job. They want to give Mexicans free reign over the border. They want to give everything to China. Whatever the fuck he's saying. What he's saying is they're taking away what's yours and I will fight to the death to make sure you still have it. And as long as he's saying that, that 30% of the country is not going to quit him. They're not going to quit him. They'd rather lose an election voting for him than win an election voting for someone who's more moderate, but who's not him and who isn't going to um, protect their whiteness. As long as that's true, that original sin of America, that guy will have a free lunch across the country, but he'll never be president again. And so we just no. need to chill the fuck out about that. <laughs> Does that help? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he's only one man. You know, he didn't do this alone. Well, remember, and he, was he, the, he was the symptom, not the problem. And yeah. he remains so. And I'll have to have you back on to talk about the problem and how to fix that because the symptom was pretty sick. But, you know, it doesn't go away when Trump does. The people that, that backed him and continue to back him, they're still there. And I think we have to be aware of that. So before I have you go, what do you think America needs right now? What can we be focusing on or doing that'll help us Pull up from this nosedive it feels like we're in. Community. Community. Taking care of your neighbor. Reaching out. Lowering your guard a little bit. Not saying to them, hey, you voted for Trump twice. That's it. You're dead to me. I can't be friends with you ever. Which, by the way, I say. <laughs> like, all the time. Um, <laughs> but I think saying to them, really. But saying to them, welcome back. Let's talk. Okay, I mean, at the end of the Civil War, when Ulysses S. Grant, who had insisted on unconditional surrender every time he won a battle in that war, because he was so sick of seeing his men get slaughtered by fellow Americans, 
at the end of that war, when it came time at Appomattox to figure out like how he and Lee were going to solve this, everybody said, well, he'll just demand unconditional surrender. Like he always does. They thought U.S. Grant stood for unconditional surrender. But no, <laughs> he, let the, he let them keep their horses and in some cases let them keep their guns. It was plowing season. He said, they're our countrymen again. These are people who had been killing each other for four years. 600,000 Americans dead as a result of that. In, in Mississippi, the year, after World, uh, the year after the Civil War, 1866, one-fifth of the state budget of Mississippi was spent on artificial limbs. One-fifth. That's how, a, that's how big a disaster it was. And yet Grant said, they're our countrymen again. Well, these people are part of our country still. Whether they voted for Trump once, twice, or not at all, they're part of our country. And we have to, instead of browbeating them and scolding them, we have to welcome them back. They're not going anywhere. They're not moving to Trump land. Like, Trump land's here. So it, for me, the thing I would leave you with would be my favorite passage. Some people think it's from the Talmud. I'm not actually sure where it's from. But it said, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Walk humbly now. Love mercy now. You are not obligated to finish the work, but nor are you free to abandon it. That's sort of where we are. Just do your part. I want to thank you for joining us today, Billy. Your insight is obviously extraordinary. And thank you. You know, we have to uh, give the Democratic leadership a lot to consider. We have to reach out to our neighbors, help each other with our cars again, help each other with our kids again. And yep. I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, keep up all your great work and please come back. We've got lots more to talk about. And I hope um, that a, uh, people honor. will see you again. <laughs> um, I'm happy to help and I'm beyond flattered to be asked. So uh, anytime you want to join Arm in Arm, I'm there with you. Thank you, Billy. Same. So that was Billy Ray reminding us that no matter how it feels, we aren't actually a divided country. That when asked, the majority of people want the same things and feel the same way about issues. We might not be able to do anything about 30% of our country that has historically been off the rails, but the rest of us need to pick a side in the battle between America and extremism and realize that if it's chaos we want to avoid, only one party is offering us the antidote and we need to sell that antidote with a clear, unified message and serious, responsible leadership. At the end of the day, democracy is a decision and we need to make that choice over and over again. We can't give up, we can't slow down, and we can never waver because the alternative is simply unacceptable, no matter what terminology you use. I want to thank Billy for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go connect with your community. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.